Hi, welcome to Seattle Mama Doc. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, and I'm here with Dr. Erin Shanefelder. She's an assistant professor at the University of Washington in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, and she directs the behavioral treatment at the Seattle Children's Program to Enhance Attention, Regulation, and Learning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We are going to run through four topics today and how the evidence and research supports interventions for families and children who have a diagnosis of ADHD. We're going to review medications, diet and food changes, sleep, and exercise. Ready? Great. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay, let's start with medications. So kids who have a diagnosis after an appropriate thorough evaluation of ADHD, what do we know about medications? So I'm a psychologist and I love behavioral approaches, but the evidence is indisputable that medications work for ADHD. About 80% of kids are going to see really good benefits from a psychostimulant for ADHD. And Wait, let's stop. 80% of kids who get a diagnosis of ADHD, if they do a trial or they start or use a psychostimulant, meaning those stimulant salts that we give kids out there, Ritalin is the very early one that we used, and, and then the number of, you know, there's not a vast number now, 80% will see improvements. Yeah. What is What are the measures that people typically look at when they're measuring the effect of medicine in a child with ADHD? It is important to be giving the same measure throughout your trial to see, are we helping? Is yeah. this really making a difference? So the Vanderbilt checklist, which is not really a diagnostic tool, more of a screening tool, is a great thing. You can download it free online. And you know, having teachers do that or having parents do that every one to two weeks as their kids are trying meds can show us over time how substantial the effects are. Are the symptoms really um, reducing as a result of this? What else do we know about medicines in ADHD that you think parents should know? I think it is important to note there's a lot of myths out there about medication. Um, there are some common side effects that kids kids can experience, such as their appetite may be lower. They may have some trouble falling asleep. Um, but they're actually quite safe medications overall. Yeah, I think I think there's other. So just, you know, that's why your pediatrician or the prescribing physician who gives the stimulant will follow your child's blood pressure. They'll follow their growth. Mm-hmm. They'll specifically follow their weight. And, of course, they'll talk about sleep because you can change up which stimulant you use if your child's really having a hard time eating mm-hmm. or the timing of when you use a stimulant. Or if your child's having a really hard time falling asleep at night, you might change which one you give or when you give it. Yeah. So um, the side effect profile is important in the selection of it. Mm-hmm. And and what do you think about, you know, I think there's a tone in our culture right now, particularly in older generations, that kids are being really over-medicated. Mm-hmm. What do we do when families have received a diagnosis of ADHD and start medicines, see benefit or even not? How do we help them understand what the reality is with meds and ADHD and what we know today? Yeah. The reality is across all the ways we can try to help with ADHD, nothing is as powerful for helping with those core symptoms, distractibility, hyperactivity, as the meds. Those meds are going to be the most powerful thing to see reductions in those symptoms. So that's just a a great message that um, if you're trying lots of things and you're holding off on using meds for some reason, that, um, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't feel guilty nor surprised that when you start a medicine trial or use medicines for a child with ADHD that you see a great benefit. And I think, you know, I see and hear families like kind of suffer and agonize over the decision to use medicines to support their child in school and at home. And I just, I can't say loudly enough and and echo loudly enough that, you know, you're saying 
80% of kids with a diagnosis of ADHD will see noted improvement in their yeah. behaviors and challenges yeah. on a medicine. And we do also know when we follow these kids who either got medications or didn't for their ADHD, when we get to young adulthood, the ones who did get medication tend to have higher rates of high school graduation. They tend to have lower rates of cigarette smoking. They are less likely to have run-ins with the law. So as much as it is a heart-wrenching decision, I think, for parents to to figure out if they want to go that route, you may be helping your child just get on a trajectory in the long term that's going to really help them. Yeah, and duration of medicine, let's talk quickly about that and we'll move on. But, you know, when you start a medication trial, and I always love to call them a trial in the beginning because, like, mm-hmm. you are using a Vanderbilt every week or two to figure out if it's working or yeah. not, right, with multiple stakeholders or observers in a child's life. You know, how how often do kids start medicine in grade two and are on it until they're 52? You know, I mean, is that, you know, what what do you see with medication typically in children with ADHD? About how long they might stay on it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's mixed. I think many kids and even adults find a medication at a dose that's really working well, and they might stay on it long term. Uh, for other kids, again, development might catch up. There might be less of a need for it later on, or they might need it a little less consistently later on. Uh, so it does change. Yeah, and puberty changes the brain, right? Yeah. So we know, we don't know which direction sometimes, but lots yeah. of kids will grow out using it. So if, and, and sometimes there's doses changes too as yes. a child grows, not just because of their weight, but really because of their brain. I have to remind families about that a lot. You know, we don't dose stimulants based on weight so much as we dose it based on how the brain responds. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. next, let's talk a little bit, because I think some families want to use all sorts of other interventions and not use meds. And some people kind of pat themselves on the back that they're doing it better if they do it that way. And I, I think I think there's some myth in that. So help us understand yeah. what's the data on avoiding preservatives, junk food, non-whole food in a child's behavior when they have a diagnosis of ADHD. Yeah. The bottom line is that healthy diet helps every kid. And it's certainly going to help kids with ADHD, you know, be have more consistent energy during their day and avoid those crashes when you have too much sugar and carbs. But uh, I hate to disappoint because a lot of parents come in and really are hopeful that, that these diets might work. The evidence just shows us that they're not not super effective. And um, I if families feel like they're trying it and it's working, by all means, go for it. Uh, but I would suggest maybe starting elsewhere with where you're going to put your energy and your money and your time with intervention for ADHD. Yeah. So just a reminder, right? Like that means, you know, there isn't a lot of data to suggest a dairy-free or a gluten-free no. or a um, whole food paleo or something diet is going to change the success of you and your child. With a diagnosis of ADHD. That being said, how could we ever (laughs) go against saying, like, I can't tell you to go eat, like, Coke and Cheetos when I am saying, like, I think your kid's going to have a better day if they have a whole grain cereal and some fruit. That's just Mm -hmm. across the board for all all sorts of reasons. So tell us the next number three, like, about sleep and and how sleep as an issue and a wellness strategy for a child with ADHD differs. Mm -hmm. This is an area that uh, doctors and researchers are getting more excited about because we're finding 
being a really strong link between sleep quantity and quality and ADHD symptoms. So we that should always be part of the evaluation is we want to know, does this child have really long-standing problems falling asleep at night, waking up a lot in the night, or maybe not getting good quality of sleep, snoring or having sleep apnea or another problem? Those kids are much more likely to have ADHD. And indeed, kids with ADHD are going to have, on average, more problems sleeping. It's kind of kind of can become this chicken egg thing mm-hmm. of what's driving what. Mm-hmm. But if we can start with treating the sleep problem and helping kids have a consistent bedtime routine, get to sleep on time, getting 10 hours of sleep per night or more if they need it, that could really make their attention problems better. And let's do that before we go to a medication. Yeah. So you always want to rule out a sleep dysfunction and then fix it before making a diagnosis of ADHD. Yes. And, um, you know, to your point, you know, pediatricians, snoring is never really normal. Um, you know, taking maybe an hour, hour and a half to fall asleep every night is not really considered normal that really long. So and that part is just the wiring of your child's mind can be influenced by the environment like a screen before a But some kids, even when you do everything right, it's hard for their mind to wind down. And that tends to be more common in kids with ADHD. And then sometimes when we use stimulants, we make it even harder for them to fall asleep. And so to optimize attention and reduce impulsivity and things, working on a really good sleep plan is always going to help. And there is data and researchers really invested in that. But sleep alone with a diagnosis of ADHD may not, that's not going to probably set your child up for the best success. So optimizing sleep is always going to be the right thing. But a sole strategy on on sleep, if that works, it means your child probably doesn't have a diagnosis Mm -hmm. of ADHD, too. Mm -hmm. And I I think so. But it's worth just parents, I think, understanding the connection between these behaviors and sleep and and optimizing. Yeah. Actually, I mean, even if your child does have ADHD, if you can help them get more sleep, it really might help. help. So I would recommend everybody to consider starting there when you're figuring out how to help your child. Yeah. And I think whenever you go in for a checkup, so if, if your pediatrician requires that you come every three months or every six months for even just a weight height check and a med check when it comes to ADHD, you should always, at that visit, I can't say this enough, you should always be talking about sleep, too. Because yes. making that better, and sometimes we even use melatonin to help kids fall asleep at night to optimize the hours and the rest of the sleep that these kids get to really continue to have that be a really pivotal part of the care plan for a child who struggles with ADHD. Okay, and then lastly, talk about the research or evidence behind exercise and how exercise can support kids with ADHD. This is an area that I'm really excited about because we do have a study that we're doing with teenagers and exercise and ADHD at Seattle Children's Research Institute. Um, More and more, we're finding really exciting evidence that exercise improves your focus and your attention and your ability to inhibit your impulses. So to hold back from responding and think first. So they there have been some studies that have looked at kids getting chunks of moderate, we say moderate to vigorous exercise. That would be walking quickly on a treadmill, jumping on the trampoline. It doesn't have to be full out sprinting, but getting your heart rate elevated. And we see their classroom behavior does tend to improve. Their focus improves. And they feel good. It helps with mood, too. So mm-hmm. this could be something to think about if you have a child. Lots of kids with ADHD, especially the inattentive type, may not 
want to exercise. They may mm. kind of drag their feet. But this is something you can incorporate with your family into your daily routine, maybe right before homework time. And mm-hmm. it could really help. Well, and so much of that data crosses over to kids without ADHD, where schools now have three recesses, right? Mm-hmm. Not because the kids are lazier or the teachers are, but because we know that those breaks of activity really increase in performance and capacity for kids across any spectrum in the learning yeah. space. So we can even take that research, I think, and apply it to all of our lives yeah. and say that exercise kind of like um, rewards sprinkled throughout the day can probably really help your child manage their impulsivity. Yes. And we do also find exercise promotes brain development. It promotes connections in the brain, which helps with learning, helps with all kinds of skills. So with or without ADHD, um, making this part of your daily routine with your family can be really helpful. Thank you, Dr. Shane Felder. So as a, <laughs> as a reminder, medicine is stimulants in particular are really effective. 80% of kids benefit from them. Food and diet changes will always help support your child, but not a ton of data for ADHD that that's a sole strategy to support a child in their school or in their home. Optimizing, managing, and staying on top of consistent sleep routines, healthy sleeps, and a decent amount, that's 10 to 12 hours for school-age kids, 8.5 to 9.5 for teenagers, getting that sleep will always improve a child's attention, impulsivity, and success, and that will improve ours too as parents. And lastly, exercise, breaking up. You don't have to go to a gym for an hour in the morning. In fact, there's data to say it's just as successful to have five bouts of 10-minute exercises through the day. So encouraging those ongoing recesses, maybe exercising together or quickly before you're asking your child to do something that's challenging like homework can set your child, even particularly their child with ADHD up for great success. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As you know, parenting is a really high stakes job. And the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 